Our text this morning is Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29, and this is God's holy word. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, even now, teach us in your word, I pray, that we might please you, know you, And I pray today, God, rejoice in you more deeply. We ask it in Christ's holy name. Amen. And you can be seated. They say, well, you help me. A picture is worth a thousand words. That's true, right? Sometimes words are not enough to actually help a person grasp the significance of a thought. Sometimes pictures or drama or music, they're the things that help you really get hold of something that needs to be understood. One of the most dramatic moments in the New Testament is what we just read. It's in Matthew 26 where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And in the institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus used words and smells and taste and touch to communicate something profound to his followers. Jesus' body was about to be broken. Jesus' blood was about to be poured out. Jesus was about to lay down his life to bring a sinful people into a right relationship with God. And I'm going to bet, Christians, that what I just said right there is not new to you, right? We do Lord's Supper about every month here. And you know Jesus used the bread that he broke to symbolize his body. And you know that he used the cup of wine to symbolize his shed blood. But did you know that in the setting of the meal and in the words that Jesus chose, Jesus is bringing to mind other pictures too. This morning, by the grace of God, we will participate in Lord's Supper. This is a glorious, sacred time in the life of the church. And as we prepare to participate in this sacred ceremony, perhaps it would be good for you and for me not only to think about the bread and the wine, but to to think about the other images that Jesus draws on to teach his disciples about his mission. So this morning, I want to do something with you, and I've done this with some of you before. Some of you will remember this, but if you do, it's been six years So give me a little grace. Some of you have never heard this before. And for all of us, there'll be something a little bit extra than what I did the first time. We're going to look at three Old Testament pictures and one New Testament picture 
that if we put these things in, our, in focus correctly, we will better grasp the glory of what we will celebrate. So I call today's message, Four Pictures in One. And it's the Lord's Supper. So if you're ready to take notes, the notes will be the pictures. So the first picture, picture number one, Passover. Picture number one, Passover. Matthew 26 begins, 26, with now as they were eating. The first picture I think God would have us bring to mind as we think about the Lord's Supper this morning, the picture that was all around Jesus during the time when he put the ceremony into practice, is that Jesus did this while the disciples were eating But it wasn't an ordinary meal that the disciples were sharing together. The disciples were celebrating the Jewish Passover, which is one of the most sacred of the Jewish feasts. So if you want to read about it, turn all the way back to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, and I'm going to read to you 3 through 14. This is the setting, the Old Testament origination of the setting for this meal. In verse 3, Exodus 12 says, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast of the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. God commanded the Israelites to keep the Passover at the time when he led the nation out of the land of Egypt. Remember, the people of God had been abused and enslaved by the Egyptians. And God used his mighty power to rescue his people. 
And the first Passover meal, this was part of the rescue. This was part of how God rescued the people. The people were to prepare a big meal, very specific way. They were to do all things in a hurry because God was going to tell them to get up and leave Egypt that very night. The people who were to eat the meal were to be dressed like they're ready to get up and run. But what most Christians remember when you think about the Passover is the Passover lamb. Every household was to take a spotless lamb, slaughter it, and prepare it for the meal. And they were also to take the blood of that lamb and they were to paint some of that blood on the door frames of their houses. And that night, God would send an angel into the land of Egypt and every house that had the blood of the Passover lamb on its doorframe, the angel would skip, would pass over that house. And every house that had no such mark on the door, the angel would enter in the judgment and wrath of God. Thus it was to the sound of wailing Egyptians that God led his people out of the land of Egypt because people died that night. Everyone who did not have the blood of a Passover lamb on their door experienced a death. More than a millennium after that first Passover, Jesus, the Son of God, celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. And the fact that Jesus institutes a new ceremonial meal during the Passover meal is a thing that I think God wants you and me to see and from which he wants us to learn. Because in a very real sense, Jesus is a Passover lamb. As the lamb of the household was slaughtered, so Jesus would shed his own blood very soon. As the blood of the Passover lamb protected the people from death at the hands of God, so the blood of Jesus Christ protects the children of God from the wrath of God. Jesus wants you and me to see the Passover in the work that he did on the cross. Now, let's go to picture number two. Call it the covenant meal. The covenant meal. I'll read to you from Matthew, but then we're going to turn to something else in Exodus. In Matthew 26, beginning with 26 again, it says, Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, listen to this, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. When Jesus points to the blood, he's symbolizing it by the wine in the cup at that Passover meal. It's interesting that Jesus calls the blood in that cup, the blood that Jesus would soon shed, his blood of the covenant. That language is not appropriate for the Passover celebration. Why? The Passover was not a covenant-making event. The concept of the blood of the covenant comes out in the covenant that God ratified between himself and his people at Mount Sinai. 
You see, after God led the Israelites out of Egypt on that first Passover, he led them through the Red Sea to the base of Mount Sinai, sometimes called Mount Horeb. And while he was there, God proposed a special covenant relationship between himself and the people as a nation called Israel. In Exodus 19, 1 through 8, we read this. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel." So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Now that passage is followed up by God giving the people the official terms of the covenant relationship that he was making with them as a nation. And in those days, it's customary for people who were entering into a covenant together to have a ceremony in which they ratify their agreement. It happens a few chapters later. Exodus 24 begins this way. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, And worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, for the second time, by the way, all the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, now for the third time, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Does that sound familiar? Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, And 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. 
There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heavens for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. So God gave the people his law. And they agree three times. Yes, we will follow the commands of God. Very formal, very much sign the contract and date it and get it witnessed. And Moses sacrifices to the Lord and he puts the blood of those animals, blood that Moses calls the blood of the covenant on the people and on the sacred items. And that blood initiated the people into their special relationship with God. Aren't you glad you don't make agreements like that today? Then the leaders of the people get this. They go up the mountain, they sit down, and they ate a covenant ratifying meal in the presence of God. Jesus wants his disciples to think about that covenant ratifying ceremony when he talks about the Lord's Supper. With the picture of the broken body and the shed blood, we are to see that Jesus was doing everything that was necessary to make a covenant between God and God's followers. And the Lord's Supper should help you to remember that if you're God's child through Jesus Christ, you have a brand new legal relationship with God and God calls you his child and God allows you to call him your God. And the Lord's Supper being set in a meal is a way for us to celebrate our own covenant ratifying meal. Just as the 70 elders of Israel ate and drank in the presence of God, we who know Jesus are allowed to eat and drink in God's presence right here today. God is with us. Don't you know that's true? Is there somewhere the Lord is not? Is the Lord not where two or more are gathered in his name? God is with us us as we celebrate this sacred ceremony. God is just as much with us as he was with the elders of Israel who ate in his presence on Mount Sinai. Christian, when you celebrate Lord's Supper, remember you are part of God's covenant people. God promised you that you are his children. He's promised that he will be present with you. He has promised you the benefits of his kingdom. Eat and drink in such a way as to say, yes, God, I am happy to say, you're my God and I am your servant. And realize as you eat and as you drink, you eat and drink in a very special way in the presence of God. Third picture. Third picture. The sin offering. The sin offering. In Matthew 26, Jesus, it said, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. After blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. Listen to this 
which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Why is the blood of the covenant poured out according to Jesus? He told you, didn't he? It is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you think back to the Passover, you should realize the Passover lamb was a substitute for the lives of the people, but the lamb at the Passover was actually not an offering for sins. Right? Neither was the blood of the covenant at Mount Sinai an offering for sins. So when Jesus says his blood will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins, there's got to be something else in view. There's got to be another picture. Well, you go to the book of the law, there are plenty of pictures of people slaughtering animals as offerings to God, right? You can read verse after verse of details of how the priests are supposed to kill a particular animal and sprinkle its blood and burn its body and do stuff with its innards. That's all over the place, right? And that is to make atonement for the sins of the people in the Old Covenant. But, isn't it interesting that it was animals whose blood was being shed in every last one of those pictures? Jesus, a man, a true human man, God in the flesh, the Son of God, he says he's going to offer his blood for sins. So there must be another picture in view. There must be something more than just the laws of Leviticus that Jesus is bringing to the minds of his followers. Where would you look in the Old Testament to find a picture of a man giving his life to pay for the sins of others? Nowhere but Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah 53, picking up the song of the suffering servant, the Bible says, Who has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He's put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This picture, the picture of the suffering servant, is the only Old Testament picture where you see a man give his life to atone for the guilt of others. In that passage we read, a sinless man will lay down his life, be crushed by God to bear the griefs of others. He's wounded, but the wounds were deserved by others. He was pierced, but the piercing should have been felt by others. He dies, but he will live to see his offspring. He was numbered with the transgressors, but he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession before God for the transgressors. We have to have this picture in place if we're going to grasp the deep truth in the Lord's Supper. God's Son, the perfect suffering servant, gives up his life and his blood to pay the penalty for the sins of wicked, evil people. People like me. People like you. Jesus would die but he would return to life and see offspring, the redeemed children of God. And that picture is there in the Lord's Supper when Jesus says, my blood is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. One more picture. One more picture. Picture number four. The future feast. The future feast. Verse 29 of Matthew 26 says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So besides the three Old Testament images in his establishment of the Lord's Supper, Jesus pointed toward the future. 
Think about how often in the Old Testament, ceremonies and regulations are actually shadows that will be fulfilled by the person and work of Jesus, right? The Passover lamb is a shadow that points to Jesus as a substitute who would die in order that you and I might live. The lambs that were slaughtered for the sin offerings pointed to the sacrificial work of Jesus. The suffering servant passage points us to the sacrificial work of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that the Sabbath day includes in its meaning a pointer toward the ultimate rest that we receive in Christ. We rest from trying to to please God through human efforts. It's this kind of shadowing, this foreshadowing, this type and fulfillment pattern in the Old Testament that helps us to understand that we are no longer subject to ceremonial regulations. I'm glad about this. We do not go back to the Jewish food uh, dietary restrictions. We do not attempt to reestablish the Jewish ceremonial feast. That would dishonor Christ for us to do that. We're not going to ever return to temple worship and animal sacrifices because the only sacrifice that matters has been made. All of those sacrifices, all of those Old Testament ceremonies, all of those dietary laws, all of them pointed forward to a greater fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. And here, even as Jesus implements a new ceremony with bread and wine, he tells us this ceremony itself is a shadow of a greater future thing to come. Something we long to experience. When you participate in the Lord's Supper, you participate in the past and the present and the future. Today, today, we look back and remember the death of Jesus in the past to pay for our sins. Today, in the present, we remember it together as believers. And we look to the future. The day when Jesus promised he will return and he said he promised he would feast with us. In Revelation 19, God's word speaks of how God is going to judge the people who have rebelled against him. Speaks of those he will judge who have done wickedness on the earth. And the angels and the saints of God will rejoice in Revelation 19 as they see the justice of God done. And in that rejoicing, there's a promise. Revelation 19, verses 5 through 9. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
and he said to me, these are the true words of God. The people of God are blessed because we who know Christ will participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb. We who know Jesus are promised that a day will come when we will dine with the Savior. We are promised that one day, this is not going to be a spiritual sign, but a physical reality. Well, when will the marriage feast of the Lamb take place? The next thing you read in Revelation 19 after that is the picture of Jesus returning victorious, defeating his enemies, and reigning, coming to reign on earth as he now reigns in heaven. Friends, God's word promises us that there will come a day, there will come a glorious day when the Lord Jesus, the very same Jesus who left this earth 2,000 years ago, is going to come back. He's going to return visibly, He's going to return bodily, not just in a spirit. He will return in such a way that when he returns, all the people of earth will see it and they will know that it happened. And when Jesus returns, all the people who are forgiven because of his sacrifice will be instantly changed. All who have died in the faith will be raised from the dead and given new resurrection bodies. All who are alive when Jesus returns will be instantly transformed into, given, into, into their new resurrection bodies. And all will be caught up in the air to meet Jesus as he returns. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18. Listen to the word of God. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul said, at the return of Jesus Christ, upon this glorious transformation, we will always be with the Lord. And what I'm telling you is that part of always being with the Lord is this promise of a glorious feast to come with our Savior. The celebration that's just like a wedding feast where we rejoice together as we walk into a brand new eternal life. Now, Today, when we celebrate Lord's Supper, you're going to get a tiny cup and some less than tasty bread. Am I right? And right now, we've got the ones that you peel the top layer off to get the bread and stuff. We're going to get done with that here in a little bit. But, but listen, I actually think, I actually think that the less than tasty bread for today is okay. After all, that little meal that you will have here, that symbolic meal that we will share today, it's real. It's spiritually nourishing. It strengthens your faith. It is a sacred thing. It is glorious. It is a shadow of what is to come. 
Jesus said he's not going to eat this bread or drink this cup until he does it new with his people. And we will eat today and we will drink today as a shadow, as a picture of the glorious day to come. Christian, this is good. Can you see the four pictures as you prepare for Lord's Supper? Can you remember Jesus died like a Passover lamb so you don't have to die eternally? That's in Lord's Supper. Can you see that Jesus' blood inaugurates a new relationship between you and God and only through Jesus' blood can you be made a child of God? Can you see that as the blood of the covenant brought the elders into relationship with God and with, into the presence of God, so Jesus' blood is the only thing that could bring you into relationship with God. It's the only thing that can bring you into the presence of God. Can you believe today here in this room, that as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, that you are in fact in the presence of Almighty God. Can you see that the blood that you remember as you hold the cup is the blood Jesus shed as a perfect sin offering? You needed something to make up for your guilt. You needed something that could pay the price for your sins. You needed something that could satisfy the wrath of God and make it possible for God to let you into his presence. And that's what the blood of Jesus does as the perfect atoning sacrifice. And can you eat and drink and see the promise of the marriage feast of the Lamb to come? Can you hold the bread in your hand and remember, remember that, yeah, someday in the future, you're going to break much better bread in the physical presence of your Lord. Can you hold that little tiny cup in your hand and realize that one day, maybe you will propose a toast with a full glass to the one who saved your soul. Can you picture the day to come when you sit at table and eat until satisfied with the Savior? Christians, as you get ready to hold in your hands the bread and the cup, remember Jesus. Remember his broken body. Remember his sacrifice on your behalf. Remember his presence with you today. Remember his promise to return Repent of your sin. Commit yourself again today to follow and serve him. And maybe it is that you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. Let me encourage you to hear what the Christians have heard. Jesus died to protect us from the wrath of God. and We deserve it. You can get under the protection of God and you can become a child of God or you can face the wrath of God for your sins. I urge you, come to Jesus and find his mercy while there's still time. He will make you God's child if you will put your faith and trust in him and his finished work. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the word Thank you for your grace. I pray 
that as we celebrate genuinely Lord's Supper, I pray that you will in fact make us see these four pictures in one. Make us see the worth, the value of the Savior. Make this matter that we might please you best. That is our prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen.